Verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was, and the lad was with the sons of Belial and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. I want to thought of this thought tonight. Enter the hero. Enter the hero. Scott Solomon, how about you pray, my friend? Oh, yes. Amen. You be seated. I like that prayer. May we be like a dry sponge. Soak up everything God's got. These are the generations of Jacob. Verse 2 tells us and informs us. We're moving into a brand new section in the book of Genesis. Jacob won't be ignored, but Joseph is the one that will take center stage. As a matter of fact, the chapter begins one of the most exciting Dramas of the entire Bible. And the Bible, and the Lord wants us to understand that the trials and victories of Joseph display that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Someone has said the story of Joseph is the Old Testament, Romans 8 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, that are called according to his purpose. As a matter of fact, one-fourth of the book of Genesis is devoted to the life of Joseph. Someone, and it is recorded so much the fact that the life of Joseph is the greatest Old Testament type of Jesus there is. Joseph was in private what he was in public. That's worth repeating. Joseph was in private what he was in public. As a matter of fact, even in Egypt, none of his family around. No one to say, hey man, you shouldn't be doing that. Joseph never compromised with evil or sin. James Boyce said that Joseph was a man for all seasons. He was chosen and rejected, loved and hated, favored and abused, betrayed and rescued, tested and rewarded, slandered and praised. Dr. Hiles used to say this when you mention his name, either pucker up or duck. How true that is. But one of the great traits that this young man did at 17 years of age, 
He never took his eyes off the Lord. Adversity didn't harden him. Prosperity didn't ruin him. Temptation didn't destroy him. Promotion didn't change him. Imprisonment didn't embitter him. He really was a great man. And he comes to the end of all of this. And he gives you in just one verse that literally become the, the cornerstone to who and what he was. But as for you, ye meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good. I don't know of a greater statement that could be made to a group of people than here tonight from all of us that we could come to a place in our Christian life that where it's adversity or prosperity, where it is through tears or through laughter, that regardless of the circumstances we face in life, God means it for good. You say, but I I just don't see that preacher. For many years, Joseph never saw it either. He enters the stage at 17 and his brothers hated him. So they sold him as a slave. He was taken to Egypt. And after being falsely accused of rape, was imprisoned with no hope of ever getting out. And really all he did was correctly interpret a dream that Pharaoh had and in one move become the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation of that day. He eventually welcomed this same family that sold him, those same brothers that sold him, you got to believe God's got a sense of humor. He give them a dream and said, Hey dudes, one day you're going to bow to me. And they got angry and they sold him, throwed him in a pit. Literally sat down, had lunch while he's in a pit. And yet the day came, just a few years down the road, when these same men came and did their bowing. See, we need to understand tonight that God's, God's, in this, God's in control of this thing. Genesis 1 through 11, literally, uh, it's about four great events. Genesis 1 through 11. You've got the creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower. But when you get to chapter number 12, on through, it moves to four great men. God moved to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. But what you need to understand tonight, one of the reasons we want to go through this series, Joseph gets more space in the holy right of God, more space in the holy right of God than Abraham, the father of faith. Wow. What that ought to tell us is he's worth looking at again. 
He's worth examining again. He's worth you and I saying, God, what does He need to teach us and speak to us about? Joseph is the hinge that connects the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, with the book of Exodus, a book of redemption. Lord comes through Joseph and realizing he was God's man, and yet, and don't miss this, somehow or another we have bought in to the televangelist that says, you know, if you serve God, you get saved, you serve God, I mean, everything's going to be easy, you'll have no more problems, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. They're lying through their teeth. They just won't, they just, they're lying. Truth of the matter is, trusting God got Joseph in a pit of despair. It moved Joseph had to deal with sexual temptation as he never had to deal with it before. Serving God, believing God moved him to redeem a very painful past. Where family, they should have loved him and should have cared for him, hurt him. Serving God moved him to redeem that past. Serving God, he had to wait a while to get what God had. But then he began to see God's hand in all things. Saw how to make wise plans, and he saw God awaken a guilty conscience in his brothers. He he saw God do some things. He saw the marks of genuine, true repentance. And as I spoke to a young lady earlier tonight, when when God speaks to your heart and does something genuinely real, you don't even have to wear a Jesus button. Everybody will know what God's done for you. You can't hide it. It'll show all over you. That's the reason why some of you need to hear desperately what God's speaking to you tonight. Because we write on our face what's going on in our hearts. Someone said that Joseph stands as this great example much like Jesus, he was loved by his fathers. He was hated and betrayed by brothers. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. He was sold as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was judged guilty of a crime he didn't commit. He was promoted after his suffering and praised God. The means of salvation came through and by Joseph. Just like through Jesus, my salvation came. W.H. Griffith Thomas surveyed Joseph's life and declared that it is impossible to avoid seeing the close, prolonged, striking resemblance between Joseph and Christ. He goes on to say that in every spiritual profitable to ponder the life of Joseph in the light of the history of our blessed Lord. Joseph in the Old Testament will lead us to Joseph's son in the New Testament. Amen. Two key observations tonight. Number one. All we need to get this. Joseph didn't know how it would all end. When you follow his story, and one of the, one of the 
great errors we have tonight is this. Oh, okay, preacher, I don't need to listen. I, I know how the story ends. I've done hard to how this story ends. So there's no expectation of God giving you something fresh and new. You've already turned him off. You've already cut him off. We're good at that, are we not? We're, at, we're masters at sitting on a church pew or, or at home when our wife's trying to talk to us. We're just masters at just cutting them off. And, and you know, yeah, uh, yeah, just say, honey, yeah, it's the right time. Just keep right on going. Here is, a, here is Joseph, and he didn't know how it would all end. Much like Elijah said, if God would just give me the plan. And I'll be honest with you tonight. I, I, I think I would be, I think I would be better off if God gave me the plan. But you know what God knows that I don't know? He knows I wouldn't be better off. Number one, you wouldn't walk by faith. How much did Joseph know when he was tending the flocks with his brothers? Zero. Nothing. How much did he know about his future when he's sitting in the bottom of a pit looking up at his brothers as they're sitting up there eating? Absolutely nothing. How much did he know when he was in Potiphar's house what was about to take place? Oh yeah, she'd hit up on him, but he never dreamed of being charged with rape. How much did he know when he was in, in prison, accused of rape, whenever he had done nothing? All he'd done was left his coat. He doesn't like thing. He run, but he left his coat. That wicked Jezebel accused him of rape. He had no clue what was going to happen. Tell me, when did God tell him when you interpret the dream of a butler and a baker it's going to mean something. It ain't there. As a matter of fact he said now baker you're going to lose your head. Learn to love the Bible. That dude tried to poison the king. He was the one that found guilty. He lost his head. But he said to the butler, he said, please now, don't forget me. And so he packed his bags in a day, turned into a week, and into two weeks. And after about a month, Joseph unpacked his bags and said, that scoundrel forgot me. How did he know? Did, did, did God send any emails or texts did God send him a letter telling him what was going to take place no it's not there and I'll be honest God knows I'm flesh and blood but when we get to heaven I think I'm going to understand the great work of faith more and I probably won't fuss but I'm going to ask him couldn't you help me out just give me the plan but you know why he doesn't give us the plan? Let me tell you why he doesn't give us the plan. He knows me well enough to know that if he gives me the plan, I'm going to do just like the rest of you do. I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to work it out. I am a master at fixing something or tearing it up. 
One of the two. If I can't fix it, I'll get me a hammer. I mean, it's one of two things. It's going to be fixed or nobody will ever fix it. If God had given me the plan in my life, I would look and I would say, Oh, not that, Lord. Not that. But I want that. Not that, God. I don't want that. But I want this. And the truth of the matter is, I would do just like we spend every day of our life doing, thinking that we've arrived. And if you just ask us, we can fix everybody else's problems. We can fix, we got a suggestion for everybody. We got a, we got, we got an answer for everybody's issues. We can fix everybody else. But the truth of the matter is, we can't even fix ourselves. We can't even fix ourselves. I got a message I'm going to preach on. And to be honest with you, I, I would dare say, 99.9% sin against God with just one verse in the Bible. You'd say, really? Just one verse? Yeah. The Bible says, judge not by appearance. Wow. Wow. So if you judge by appearance, you're disobeying God. See, we need, in, in nowhere, nowhere, does God ever tell Joseph what's going to happen? As a matter of fact, it all just unfolds in his life. Can I ask you a question? How much do you know for certain about tomorrow? How much do you know for certain about next week? I'm not saying we ought to be lazy and not make plans and these kind of things. I understand all of that. I'm just saying, how much do you know for certain is going to happen tomorrow? How much of you know that for certain? We now have our plans and our course that we're going to follow. I'm going to tell you something. God changed him in a heartbeat. He changed him in a heartbeat. You have classes to attend, calls to make, people to see, appointments to keep, papers to write, plans to make, ideas to discuss, decisions. And the plans go on and on. Two weeks ago, on Wednesday, I left the church with the the plan to go home and meditate. Some people call it snapping. I call it meditation. And uh, and yet, before by by the time I walked in the door, our whole life was changed. God, God, why didn't you tell me that was coming and get me ready for that? Why didn't you let me know that was coming? preacher, I'm your pastor, I'm your sir. Why didn't you let me know that's coming? And God so sweetly and gently said, I don't have to tell you it's coming if you have me. If you have me. Whatever comes, if you have me, you'll be all right. 
See, we got this idea that God owes us an explanation. We've got this ideal. I'm not sure where we got it. That God ought to tell us why things take place. Somewhere we got this ideal that God owes you and I an explanation for anything. And I'm telling you here tonight, there's a God in heaven, and don't miss this. If you can get settled on this here tonight, You'll never question this again. God loves you so much. He means it for good and His glory. And He'll never give you an explanation. He's not subject to us. Never has been. We should live life like Joseph. One day at a time. Point number one, Joseph didn't know how it would all end. Joseph had no idea. He had no idea. The king, Pharaoh, not one time said, Go get Joseph. And while you're going, you tell him, I'm going to make him prime minister of Egypt. God never done that, nor did the king. He went to interpret a dream. He went to do right. That's why tonight that it is so important. I, I, know, I know you think that I just beat this, beat, this, beat this dog to death. But if you just understood how important I know that it is, if it becomes that important to you, that's why it's so important that we obey everything God tells us to do. That's why it's so important that you're here in this service tonight. I'll be honest with you. What does the person do tomorrow that's not here if they get a phone call that changes their world forever? Do you understand there's some things that comes in life that you can't, your money's not going to fix? Hey, some things comes in your life, you're not going to fix. You're not going to make them better. They are what they are. And you just got to live through them. You can't change them. What God does in this walk of life is in every service. A service like tonight. A service like Sunday morning. I, again, I was talking to a young lady just earlier. And, and, and boy, what a blessing. I'm watching God do something wonderful for her. And I said, tell me about it. She said, just a Sunday morning, a message. It rung so true in my heart. And I'd done something with it. And God is doing so wonderful. What is that Sunday she wasn't there. What if that Sunday they needed somebody to interpret a dream but Joseph was not in the prison? Who would have interpreted the dream? See, this, this thing is not it's, it's not just keeping a bunch of rules. and Somehow or another, we've got to get above that. And by the way, oh, don't miss this. This is the most damnable, you know what the most damnable thing there is? 
with Christianity today, and that is this. I can handle it. I'm handling it. I'm a business person. I can handle it. I'm professional. I can handle it. You can't handle nothing if God didn't give you the ability to handle it. You can't breathe the next breath if God doesn't give it. You can't move the next step if God doesn't give it. We can't do anything without Him. But we live every day as if He is dead and we're in control. It is amazing. We get more relevance. We get more relevance to a wicked media that lies through their teeth than we do the truth of this blessed old book. I'm amazed at it. Joseph didn't know how it would all end. Number two, God is the real hero of this story. God is the real hero of this story. On the surface... It looks like Joseph's the hero here. But Joseph's really not the hero. Thirteen years after Joseph lived all this. And someone said, Joseph, man, man, boy, I tell you, you're a prime man. You've got possession. You've got power now. Joseph, what you think? He said, no. Joseph would say, no. The real hero here is a God that looked at a situation and said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save a whole lot of people and to do something miraculous. Joseph life, he saw that invisible hand working through every single event all the way down through his life. If Joseph's story doesn't give us a new appreciation for God's providence over all things, then you'll just keep on going through the humdrum, do-it-yourself, I'm going to do what I want to do live until somewhere God kicks all the props out from under you and you need a big God. You know what's scaring me right now? Is... A few of you don't believe that. You know what's alarming me? What's scaring me? You seem like you're bored out of your life, out of your mind. I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you get that phone call that cuts the very heart of you out? Here's the question. Do you need a little God or do you need a big God? one you need. I'm not your enemy. I'm not angry with you. I'm trying desperately to help you. When you're in a pit, you need a big God. Little God ain't going to get it done. When you're in a prison charged with rape, and one of the most powerless men in the, in the kingdom, his wife has accused you, Little God ain't going to, medium God's not going to get the job done. You're going to have to have a big God to get this job done. 
You need a little God's not going to do whenever the king says, Hey, can you interpret that dream? Can you tell me what God is wanting to say to me? Can you tell me what God's trying to tell me? Hey, Joseph, can you tell me what God's fixing to do? And Joseph said, well, it ain't in me to do it, but I know that God that knows this business. Let me tell you about that God, Pharaoh. And here is the interpretation of your dream. And he interprets the dream. And then I love this. You got, you got, you got to love God. You just got to love this hero of the story. Because here's what he does. He says, and by the way, King, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to hire you some dude that can really handle money and grain and handle the affairs. You need to hire you a really good, strong leader. You need to hire you someone that's got some discernment and ability about them. That king, that's what you need to do now. And I could see him as he's walking off, fixing to head back to his prison house. And, and the king said, hold it, stop out there, son. Who can we find better than him? And in one moment of time, God took him to second most powerful position in the kingdom. What? Didn't see that one coming. But it's the same God. Stop. It's the same God that was with him in prison house. I, I, I don't want this sickness, God, but I want that promotion. I, I don't want this, I don't want this sacrifice. I've given, but I want you to give to me. I don't want, I don't want this. I want this. And what you've got to understand is, where it's this or this, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. In October... I'll begin my 25th year. The first Sunday, I walked in a little white building. I was looking at some pictures. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to file a lawsuit next week for what this church has done for me. And all I got to do is take my pictures now and my pictures then. I can win this case, I'm telling you. I can win it. My hair was black. I had my mustache. I probably weighed 130 pounds, 140. And I'm telling you, and I was looking at that picture, and it was, it was 18. And I remember being so excited with 18 people. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. I'm just as excited with the crowd we got now because it's the same God. It's the same God. We've we got to get God off trial. Well, why didn't God give me what I wanted? It might be because you never acknowledged Him 
in anything. It may be he's not going to move an inch towards you until you acknowledge God, but I want your will no matter what that is. And sometimes, because we are so, so hell-bent in our own way, in our own thinking, in our own opinion, God has to put us in a position to say, now, what are you going to do? You won't fix this one. Now, what do you do? Can you trust me now? Am I still the God that you're going to shout about? Am I the God you're bragging about? Am I the still the same God you're going to write good things on Facebook about? Or now are you ready to throw me away because I'm not meeting your expectations? Is that the, is that kind of God I am? And he's telling you, you got the wrong God. You need to be God. Here's Joseph. My, what a place he's at. See, he's a teenager. Somebody perhaps come and said, Hey, Joseph, what you going to do? He said, We'll just do the family business. I'm going to be a shepherd like my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather. No doubt he has his own plans of what he's going to do through life. But notice something. But God had other plans for him. Only later will the grand design become apparent. Wow. And God was preparing him. Long before he was ever aware of it. Abraham's dignity and capacity, Isaac's purity and power of self-devotion, Jacob's cleverness and tenacity. From his mother's family, he got beauty, humor, and management. And all the time, God's just preparing him. But when he did, he saved his family it changed the course of history, my soul. It changed the course of history. And he never saw how it would all end. My. So here's what we get from all of this tonight. Number one, in studying Joseph, we'll learn about life itself. What we should expect, and that's what we want to do. We need, I, I need I, I, a whole church, all of us, all of us here, need to go to a whole new level in mindset about the God we say we serve. Life isn't easy for us, and for most of us, it may be quite difficult. And the closer we get to seeing the Lord's coming, and the more we see our world going crazy, I'm going to tell you something. Your little bitty God that you'll shout about on Sunday and cuss on Monday won't get it done. You're going to have to have a big God. We've got to have a big God. Second. We'll learn how life works for our good. Spurgeon said, God is seen in the small things. God stands behind the universe He created. And we shouldn't be surprised to see His fingerprints everywhere. I love this. And third, we'll learn how Jesus is the power we need for everything. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to junk our, I want you to listen to me. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to listen to me, to me tonight. 
If you are a very cocky, proud person, you better learn to humble yourself because you don't want God humbling you. And trust me, He'll drive you to your knees before you can even know what you're doing. Did you hear what I said? Some of you cocky, proud people that never visit an altar, you won't move towards God. You won't do. You, 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 you've got the tiger by the tail. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. God put you in a place you'll be begging God, what do we do now? I'll be honest. I think I'm living this. No, I don't think I'm living this. I know I am. I know I am. And I had to do some things in the last couple of weeks. I'll just be frank with you. If God had not helped me, I just couldn't have done it. I know his son's here. I'm going to tell you something. The other Wednesday night, about midnight, when that boy walked into his house, and I had to tell him about his mama. I'm just going to tell you something. It just kind of drives me crazy when I see proud people. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Sitting here thinking to myself, what do you do then? Praise God. Hallelujah. God was so real that evening. In the midst of it all, God was still God. God was everything He said He would be. And in the moment we needed Him to hold us all up, He just stepped right up and done. I, I pray tonight we'll learn how Jesus is the power we need for everything. And as we look at this story and unfold it, I got to tell you something, it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's a bumpy ride for him. Joseph proves you come from a crazy, mixed up family and still do some amazing things for God. It ain't going to be easy, and it's one thing for sure and certain. It's not going to be predictable. We need a big God, and we have a big God. And tonight, can I ask you a question? Boy, I've preached this many times in our church, but I don't know if it's been more real in my own heart and my own life than it is tonight. Just how big is your God? I didn't tell you, I don't want you deciding how big somebody else's God is. How big is your God? And how big He is will determine the choices we make so much in life. If He's a little God, we can sell Him out pretty quickly and don't really bother us at all. But if He's a big God, 
He's not so easily sold out, you realize. God, I've got to have him today. And I, in the morning when I wake up, I've got to have him again. And my soul, by the time break time comes, I've got to have him again. By the time once time gets, I, I just got to have My God, i just got to have him every minute of every day of every hour. Seems like the more I run to him, the more I lean on him, the more of him I've got to have to make it day in and day out. How about you? How big a God do you have? Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed.